I'm concluding this week's exploration of cryptocurrencies with one of the lesser known coins known as Cardano. Cardano is essentially a philosophical fork of Ethereum because Charles Hoskinson, the founder, was originally part of the Ethereum founding team and then fell out with Vitalik. I think it was mentioned maybe in yesterday's episode. But still, he has an interesting perspective on the three generations of cryptocurrency and how Ethereum fundamentally fails in terms of scaling. So here's a clip from his famous Cardano whiteboard presentation. Hi, I'm Charles Hoskinson, Chief Executive Officer of Input Output Hong Kong, and I'm here today to talk a little bit about Cardano. So to understand Cardano, first you have to understand where Cardano came from. So let's talk about the first generation of cryptocurrencies. So first gen is Bitcoin. And the problem that Bitcoin was trying to solve was really, could we create a decentralized money? Could we create some sort of token that lives on some sort of decentralized blockchain maintained by people all around the world, and that token would be scarce and tradable. So when Alice and Bob want to send value to each other, there would be a mechanism for doing that did, that did not require a trusted third party, a trusted intermediary. Now this was kind of a really cool and interesting idea. It had very old roots starting from the 1980s and beyond, but Bitcoin was really the first to bring this all together and it was a tremendously successful experiment. After just a few years, Bitcoin not only accrued thousands of users, but also started being worth real money. Tokens went from less than a penny to actually a dollar to eventually a hundred dollars. And right around that time period, we saw a huge influx of people saying, boy, this is really interesting. However, the issue is that the transaction between Alice and Bob has more than just the act of moving money associated with it. There's a story behind that transaction. There's terms and conditions. For example, what if Alice says to Bob, I'll give you the money if and only if you mow my lawn. I'll give you the money if and only if you repair my roof. This is a contract. This is the story. So first generation technology wasn't really well suited for this. Every single time someone wanted to make a change to Bitcoin, they'd have to build another cryptocurrency, or they'd have to figure out how to install some sort of cumbersome overlay protocol like MasterCoin or ColorCoins. So back in 2014, Vitalik Buterin, myself, and many others came together and we launched the first second generation blockchain. And this is Ethereum. Now Ethereum is kind of like when JavaScript came to the web browser. We went, went from these static simple pages that were not terribly functional, but at least they did something, to pages that were fully programmable, that this and then enabled us to build the Facebooks, the Googles, the Gmails, the experiences we've come to know and love. So Ethereum brought a programming language to a blockchain. So this programming language paradigm allowed smart contracts to be written to have customizable transactions. So when Alice sends that value to Bob, all those terms and conditions could then be embedded within the transaction and it can be bespoke to her particular needs. Now this paradigm, like Bitcoin, also took off and now Ethereum is among the largest of cryptocurrencies and has a huge developer community. Unfortunately, just like Bitcoin, we're starting to enter into a new realm. We're going into the third generation 
where we've realized that Ethereum can't scale to millions of users, to billions of users. Ethereum doesn't really have a good developer experience. Ethereum and all cryptocurrencies have really a bad governance experience right now, where every single time there's a major disagreement, instead of finding a way to resolve it, we end up usually seeing things like Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, or things like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Furthermore, there are big sustainability problems in the space, namely after the ICO money is out for a project that's funded this way, or let's say the venture capital runs out, who will fund in, to grow the chain? Who will fund to actually build out an ecosystem? These are big open questions. So the third generation is all about three topics. One is scalability. Two is interoperability. And finally, there's this notion of sustainability. So the Cardano project is really our philosophy, our vision on how to solve each of these categories in a way that we feel it's going to inherit the best features and lessons learned from generation one and generation two, but also add a lot of new concepts and technology to the space. And this project is built with some really good principles, namely two. First off, all the science that guides the solutions to these problems goes through some notion of peer review. So we go to conferences, we write proper scientific papers, we engage universities, and all the engineering, we have the goal to eventually implement as high assurance code. Which means the same types of techniques one would see with the Shinkansen or a gen engine, where when the failure of the system results in human death, uh, we can apply those techniques to, a, uh, to our protocols to engineering and development so that we have a much higher belief in the quality of the code. This avoids events like the DAO, the parity hack, and other such things as we've seen in the space. So let's go through each of these in more detail, starting with scalability. So scalability is kind of a loaded term, and it has a heck of a lot of meanings. But from a cryptocurrency's perspective, you can really think of scalability in three different perspectives. So one is scalability in terms of transactions per second. So you'll often hear people say, well, Bitcoin has seven transactions per second, or Ethereum has 10 or 20 transactions per second, and this new protocol has 200 transactions or 300 transactions per second. There's this notion of how many transactions am I able to get into a block within some finite period of time. But it's not the only thing that you have to concern yourself with. Transactions carry data. And as you get more transactions, you require more network resources. So there's also this notion of bandwidth or network, where for a system to scale, if it's going to go to millions and billions of users, that system could require hundreds of megabytes to gigabytes per second of bandwidth to be able to support all the data flowing through it. This is very common in the enterprise world, but not quite where we need to be in the peer-to-peer -peer world. And then finally, there's this notion of data scale. So blockchains, store things hopefully forever. And so every time you put a transaction in, regardless if it's relevant or not, it ends up in the log. And as you have more and more transactions per second, you need more and more data. And as a consequence, blockchains will grow from megabytes to gigabytes 
to terabytes to petabytes and potentially even exabytes. Again, this is okay in the network world, but when we talk about a replicated system whose security model relies upon each node having a copy of the blockchain, this is not tractable for consumer hardware devices. So Cardano, what we're trying to do is figure out ways to solve these problems in a very elegant way. Namely, that as we add people to the network, we naturally get more transactions per second, we get more network resources, and eventually we'll get more available overall data storage without compromising our security model. So let's talk a little bit about some of the innovations we've already brought, namely with the throughput. Charles goes on to explain three of the scaling characteristics that Cardano has, which is throughput, network, and data. And an interesting quirk of Cardano is that it has a strong preference for going through the process of peer review uh, in pursuit of academic rigor. He obviously thinks that helps him write better software, and actually using Haskell is already a compromise for him compared to other languages. But I'm not sure that that actually helps adoption. Sometimes worse is better. As of right now, Bitcoin is the worst cryptocurrency by anyone's standards, yet it is the most highly valued. So I try to keep that in mind whenever a technology presents itself as being theoretically superior in every way, that typically limits its adoption because it's so purist.